John chapter 9. I hope you forgive me for doing a little bit of reading. Um, we're just going to go through this chapter. My, my talk's called The Blind Man, and that's what John chapter 9 is about. So we'll try and read along and um, piece together the story a little bit. Verse 1. Now as, now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said to him, I just want to point out, first of all, that that to me, there's a lot of things in this chapter. That verse 6 there, using spitting on the ground and using the clay, demonstrates to me that Jesus and God does things in much different ways than we would expect in lots of aspects of our life. Um, And he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Therefore the neighbours and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, is not this he who sat and begged? Some said, this is he. Others said, he is like him. He said, I am he. Therefore they said to him, how were your eyes opened? Verse 11, he answered and said, a man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and I received sight. Then they said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. Um, Quickly noting here that after he had been healed and Jesus worked a miracle and he received his sight, that it was actually those kind of in his close circle or near him that knew him beforehand. And it says that they saw Oh, that's a bad word to use. They could, but they could see that. Thank you, Kingsley. That he couldn't see, and that he now could see. And they were asking, "Well, how is this possible?" Um, they brought verse thirteen. They they brought him who formerly was blind to the Pharisees. Now it was a Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. And the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. And he he said to them, "He put clay on my eyes, and I washed, and I see." Therefore, some of the Pharisees said. This man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. And they said to the blind man again, what do you say about him because he opened your eyes? He said, he is a prophet. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him who had received his sight. And they asked him saying, is this your son who you say was born blind, how then does he see? So they've gone to the neighbours, the Pharisees, and now he's asking his parents, like, what's going on here? How did this guy receive back his sight? In other words, they really don't believe that this could possibly have happened, even though it actually happened. And they, and they knew him beforehand and they can... Uh, I'm trying to think of a different word now, Kingsley. Well, I can't. They can see that he can see. Um, Verse 19, nope, verse 20. His parents answered them and said, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. (laughs) 
almost sarcastic, isn't it? But by what means he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his son, we do not know. He is of age, ask him. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed that he was Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So they again called the man who was blind and said to to him, Give God the glory, we know that this man is a sinner. He answered and said, Whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. Then they said to him again, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? Speaking about Jesus here, of course. Uh, Verse 27, He answered them, I told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Then they reviled him and said, You are his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we do not know where he is from. The man answered and said to them, Why, this is a marvellous thing, that you do not know where he is from, yet he has opened my eyes. Now we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshipper of God and does his will, he hears him. Verse 32, since the world began, it has uh, been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered and said to him, you were completely born in sins, and are you teaching us? And they cast him out. They obviously they obviously uh, knew what was going on. They could, they could, like, it was obvious that a person couldn't see and they knew that and now they could see, but they weren't willing to admit how it was possible that that could have happened. Um, I think about my wife, Tara. She, I'm, I'm sure you guys have had examples like this before, but Tara's told me about conversations that she's had with people uh, like naturopaths, for example, in her, she's kind of, you know, works in a, worked in a pharmacy for a while and, you know, she's, she's told them when I, when I was celiac <laughs> and they're like, hang on a second, what do you mean? Was it, that's impossible. You, what, once you're a celiac, you're always a celiac. No, no, I, I got healed. Well, that's impossible. Well, I can show you the evidence. I, there must be another one. And they had the similar conversation to this. They just didn't, they don't, they don't believe her to this day that she was something and then God healed. And they are the experts in this kind of field. They understand this kind of process. I'm sure that if I asked, I'm sure that you guys have, or at least some of you, have uh, broken bones or been healed from incurable things. And you've, in fact, I, I know there's a few. And you've told someone, even doctors, and they've kind of give you a bit of a condescending pat on the back and say, that's a great God that, that you have. Think about like if, if we went on, if someone went on the news, on the main news and started telling everyone about this, how much potential well, hate that they would get. I think they, in this day and age they might call it trolling, that everyone's got problems. And if they're presented with a solution that seems impossible, that they are more willing to kind of join a crowd and reject it and than, than accept it. This is a great demonstration of this. Verse 35, we're going to finish off this chapter here. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and when he had found him, he said to him, 
Do you believe in the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. Then he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, that those who do not see may see, and that those who, who see may be made blind. Then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, Are we blind also? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no sin, but now you say, we see, therefore your sin remains. Verse 39 is is probably the the crux of my talk tonight. This chapter demonstrates a number of things, as I said earlier. But one of the big things that it demonstrates to me is that someone that was blind had more of a faith in God than someone that could actually see and didn't require healing that was blind in this, uh, from being blind in this example. That someone who didn't, wasn't open to the distractions around them or the thoughts of the person next to them um, or the opinions of others was more inclined to believe in God and in the faith, uh, sorry, and, and in Jesus and have faith in Jesus in this, in this instance than someone that didn't, didn't need that. In our, in our lives, my, my talk tonight is just a little bit about us I guess, you know, being open and seeing everything, letting everything come in. I, I wasn't here a couple of nights ago, if it, if it was then, but I heard that um, Dennis gave a, a kind of a, or at least one or two thoughts on being, letting things in to our lives. Not exactly the same train of thought, I suppose, but along similar lines that if we're able to act, like physically see around us, if I, if I go into a theme park and I can see the rides around me, I'm going to pick and choose according to what I want. I'm going to talk about that in a, in, in a few moments. In, in some ways, it's better for us to just like tunnel vision, spiritually speaking, narrow-minded, spiritually speaking, simple, not, I guess, allowing ourselves to, to be influenced by too many opinions from, from others. Book of Haggai, we're going to go to. Chapter 1. This story builds on this slightly. Um, Verse 1. In the second year of King Darius, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, saying, Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, This people says, The time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should, should be built. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your panelled houses and this temple to lie in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but do not have enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put into a bag with holes. It's, I, I love this verse 6, that it really summarises at least the society that I see a lot of. Um, consumers, <laughs> that we are a generation or generations of consumers, that we love to consume things if it suits us. I see this p- particularly in my line of work and education a lot. It, I was thinking about this recently, about how... If someone says, I speak 
from, particularly from the, like the students that I teach in, in high school, um, if someone says that they want to do something, there's a, there's a kind of an attitude of like, who are you to tell me that I can't do that? And I don't care how far I have to go, I'm, I'm going to do that. Um, to, to the point, and, and always to suit their own needs, to the point where sometimes I've heard, I, it hasn't happened to me, I almost wanted to for, for fun, but it hasn't happened to me, but I've heard of other teachers where they, kids misbehaving and then you know the class gets kept in for three minutes or something at recess and there's kids on their laptops looking up the Department of Education guidelines, ramming them down the teachers' throats about how it's their right to have recess and have breaks and etc. etc. There's a little bit of irony there because if they looked a bit further about misbehaviour and whatever, but the it's it's this attitude of like I just want to have everything that I want to have, and this verse demonstrates that we will never have enough. Verse seven says, "Thus says the Lord of hosts: Consider your ways, go up to the mountains and bring wood." and build the temple that I might take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. That it's not for our own pleasure that we're building the temple. I love here that it says go up to the mountains. It's a journey to get up there sometimes. We can't just click a button and access the, the, and start building the temple of God. It's, it's a process. We have to sometimes go on a journey. We, we might have to go through a few things. Well, we all, of course we do. And I'm not discrediting that at all. It's, it's hard. But God is asking to stop living in our panelled houses, it says in verse 4, just being comfortable and just being consumers and just spending with nothing really in the savings area, or the, the savings account, I should say, and actually do some work for the Lord that God takes pleasure in it that it's actually God that we're serving, being able to do something for God in this case. You looked for much, but you indeed, verse 9, but indeed it came to little, and when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, says the Lord of hosts, because of my, because of my house that is in ruins, while every one of you runs to his own house. For I called for a drought on the land and the mountains, on the grain and the new wine and the oil, and whatever the ground brings forth, on men and livestock, and on all the labour of your hands. So, so God can change our lives in an instant. That he can take it away just as much as he's, as he's given it to us. He's asking, he's, it's, it's a really quite a direct instruction here. Build the Lord's house. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shiltiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the Lord of the Lord, uh, pardon me, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God, and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the presence of the Lord. Then Haggai the Lord's messenger spoke the Lord's message to the people, saying, I am with you, says the Lord. I really, I also want to highlight in verse 12 that God gave an instruction and the people listened. I think sometimes that we struggle with this as well, as I always say, speak for myself, as much or more than anyone else, that when we're given an instruction, when we hear something in a you know, in a testimony or when we chat to someone or when a pastor gives us some constructive criticism or something that we actually go away and listen, that we 
maybe ask the Lord about it, that we really consider it and we don't just write it off. And when God asks us to get out of our own comfort zone and start building, doing his work, that we're prepared to listen. Okay. Um, I'm going to skip uh, something here. Let's go to Luke 16. I'm just going to finish on a couple of scriptures here. I was just going to read uh, Proverbs 24. There's a 30 to 34. There's a really good little passage there about letting the weeds grow over and and uh, not tending to our our garden and how you know things can just grow over really quickly if we don't put the work in and then we've got a bigger job at hands. But Luke 16 touches on the positive aspect of this a little bit. Um, And John, try again, Luke 16, verse 10, one verse here, <sighs> relief. He, is, he who is faithful in what is, in what is least is faithful also in much, and he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Again, there's probably a few thoughts that you could bring out of this, but I, I really, uh, what I want to bring out of this little verse here that Jesus is speaking I guess is, is if we look after the small things, if we, if we put the, if we do our work in like keeping a regular routine in building the Lord's house in whatever way that is, if we try and put it, you know, I, I guess off the top of my head, if we, if we want to like save money, putting, if you got paid, if someone got paid $10,000 $10, in, a, in, in one week, let's just say, crazy money, and they put all of that 10 grand into the savings account, they wouldn't have anything less left to actually look after themselves for the next week or whenever it was. But if they saved a small amount each week, just putting a small amount, by the end of it, they've got that big savings there. I guess in some ways, Jesus is saying here, like, if we put the small amount of efforts in when we're required... If we're putting our feelers out into all of the little different branches of our fellowship, of our own walks with the Lord, when the big stuff comes, it's much easier for us to take that battle. If we don't actually, if, we, if we're hanging around, but we're just kind of filling a seat, a position in the hall, but when, when, and we're not really paying attention, we're not maintaining our own walk in the Lord. When something big comes, you may not, but sometimes it can really knock us over. And I personally have seen um, many people, I guess, in my time in the Lord that have been knocked over. When it, when it mattered most, they were good, but they, they probably weren't doing much. And then when something big came, it really hit them. Lots of people I've seen. I guess like something that I remember, um, I actually don't remember who said it, but I, yeah, I, I have a few things, just comments or quotes from people written down on my phone. And someone that someone said ages ago was that anyone can dry up. And I've always thought about that. Thought anyone in our fellowship, we're all, you know, we have people that are in different positions in the church, but we're all on the same level. Anyone can dry up and leave God. And I think about there's no guarantee that I 
will be still walking with the Lord in 10 years. I can't guarantee that unless I do something about it now, unless I do something about it each day, unless I like listen and, and apply the scriptures. That Proverbs 24 there, one of the verses it's talking, the, inst- the instructions coming through and then it says something along the lines of, again, that, that they listened, that they actually took the advice on. So I take this to myself just as much. Hebrews chapter 12. I guess like, yeah, even the strongest people in our church can still dry up because that's what Jesus said, that if we allow ourselves to dry up, he'll cut us from the vine. I obviously don't hope that at all. Hebrews chapter 12, just one verse to finish on here. I'm actually going to read this from the NLT. I hope that's okay, Maureen and others. Actually, I was the one that asked the question first. That's okay, me. Um, Hebrews 12 verse 2 says we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus the champion who initiates and perfects our faith because of the joy awaiting him he endured the cross disregarding its shame now he is seated in the place of honour beside God's throne there's a word in there the reason why I particularly like this out of the NLT is there's a word champion there that We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith, that Jesus did it all before us. When we think of a champion, it's someone that's been successful or is successful and someone that role models it, someone that we can look up to, someone that we can use examples. And Jesus is everything and more of that. If there was ever a definition, a true definition, that would be it. Um, Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. No matter how hard it got, he knew that there was a joy there. I guess I just wanted to finish on a positive note there that, yeah, that's a a hard one to to swallow sometimes, isn't it? When we're in our lowest of lows, that, uh, you know, looking at the scripture can give us confidence that Jesus also was in his lowest of lows. And why? because of the joy awaiting him. And there's a joy awaiting us. I'm going to leave it there. Amen.